Hello, and thank you so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. You can hear The Katie Halper Show on iTunes, on SoundCloud. You can rate and review us on iTunes. And please become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. You'll be able to access extra interviews, extended interviews. Also, you can just support the show. So if we bring you stories and interviews that you care about, like the interview we're about to play with Rania Kalik, whose videos have been banned by Facebook, make sure you become Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash The Katie Halper Show. Ronnie Kalick is a journalist who works for In The Now and her Facebook videos had been taken down. Now the good news is the ban has been lifted and In The Now is back on Facebook. But what I'm going to do now is I want to bring you the interview I did with Rania before the ban was lifted because it's a great discussion. And then what I'm also doing for my dear listeners is that Tomorrow, I will be posting a part two of my interview with Rania, which I've done about how the Facebook negotiations went and also what's wrong with Facebook's decision even now. So stand by for that. So excited to be talking to Rania Kalik. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Rania's a really brave reporter. She reports from places like um, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Iraq, Germany. Not as exotic. <laughs> She's from the Virginia area. Um, I am. And now you're coming to us live from... I live in Beirut. Right. I'm at In The Now. I'm the Beirut person. We have offices in Moscow and Berlin and LA, as CNN has told the world. Let's talk about, like, what what's happening to you right now. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, basically, so I work for this outlet called In The Now, which is, like, the digital media... Uh, platform in the way that AJ Plus is for not necessarily RT, but Rupley, which is a subsidiary of RT. Um, and we're like independent of RT. In the now is really cool because like I get to make these cool videos, which you've seen. We're in rural Alabama where people are experiencing a raw sewage crisis. There are open cesspools of raw sewage in people's yards. The odor is very, very strong and it's really unsafe for children to play around. It could make them sick. What's happening in Venezuela is a straight-up coup against that country's democratically elected leader, Nicolas Maduro. And it's creating the dangerous conditions for a civil war. America is the richest country in the world, but tropical parasitic diseases linked to extreme poverty are thriving because of the sanitation crisis. Well, according to an investigation by the AP, the U.S. is turning a blind eye to its allies, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, cutting deals with al-Qaeda militants to fight the Houthis in Yemen. I have complete editorial control. I write my own scripts. It's really fun. I have a great team I work with. I get to travel. It's awesome. Um, And so CNN, I guess, uh, isn't a fan. (laughs) Um, Well, basically, CNN started, like, talking to some of our peripheral employees recently. And, like, it got back to us that they were asking these really probing questions. Like, um, they even contacted one of the camera people I worked with on a recent documentary I did in Alabama. And were like... Do you have anything negative to say? Didn't you think it was weird they were doing such a negative story on Alabama? Did you know where their funding was coming from? Because we're partly funded by RT. Um, And she was like, yeah, like they were really great. Like she didn't have anything negative to say about us. Me and her actually had a lot of fun working together. Anyways, long story short, this eventually got back to us that, that CNN was like digging around for dirt. And so we offered CNN, we like contacted them. We're like, look, we know you're doing a story and it's not a nice one. Like we're, you're welcome to interview us. We're ready, like we're happy to be transparent and open with you guys. We're, we're not sure what you're trying to find and we don't think there's a story here, but like we're happy to answer your questions. 
So we even, I, I went to, I was, I live in Beirut. I even flew to Berlin and, and did an interview with CNN with the COO of Mafic, which is like the holding company for in the now. Um, so just to like make a comparison, you know, now this is a really popular online right. digital platform as well. It's probably the most popular one. And they have a holding company called group nine, which you've never heard of. It just like, that's like the holding company for it. So for us, it's Mafic. It's called Mafic. So they did the story on what they on Mafic, and we have all, in the now is the main channel, and we have all these like other channels called Soapbox and Wasted, and back then, which like our history channels, politics channels, whatever, all on Facebook. So, anyways, we do this uh, interview with CNN. It's forty five minutes of Katie. I kid you not, just like interrogation. It felt like a police interrogation, and the interrogation was was uh, carried out by a reporter for CNN named. Um, Drew Griffin, like you did, a, like I did a recent video on Venezuela after Trump tried to install the U.S. backed opposition leader there, uh, and I did a video being like, "This is a coup and it's really fucked up," you know, and um, it, and it did pretty well. Like uh, a lot of people watched it, and so uh, the guy was like, "Well, you know, you did this video on Venezuela. Why are your views in line with the Kremlin? Is that just by coincidence? Like things like this and just like, uh, you know, he didn't believe he couldn't possibly believe I had editorial control. Maybe because he maybe because he doesn't. Yeah, and he's, he he's like, projecting like shocked, like the like, you know, Putin's not calling me up and like telling me what to report. Um, and so these were the I mean, it was just, the questions were so insane. CNN spoke to Rania Collar an American who hosts Mavic Media's Soapbox. She says no one in the Russian government tells her how or what to think. I can choose my own topics, write my own scripts, and produce my own content without input from anybody else. Kalik answered CNN questions from Berlin, Germany, Mavic's base. CNN pointed out that much of Kalik's content seemed to be perfectly in line with much of the propaganda coming out of the Kremlin. She had this response. But if I oppose a U.S. war, does that automatically mean I'm going to be accused of being aligned with the Kremlin? And with this Russia hysteria that we're experiencing now, I feel like this is a very, very dangerous McCarthyist tactic to start saying that leftist views, anti-war views, are just the Kremlin government's talking points. And then I was like, so where was Mark Lamont Hill's editorial control when CNN fired him for telling the truth about Palestine? Like, And he just like didn't respond to any of my questions. But that's how the whole interview went. And so... We know CNN's doing this hit piece, but what CNN was actually doing was, and they say this in the piece they ultimately put up, was that they were approached about Mafic, about the company I work for, by a group called the Alliance for Securing Democracy. Um, the Alliance for Securing Democracy is a project of the German Marshall Fund, which is a U.S. government-funded think tank. I believe they also receive money from the German government and from NATO. Um, and so the German Marshall Fund's Alliance for Securing Democracy is... Um, it has an advisory board made up of people like Bill Kristol of the Project for a New American Century, which was crucial to pushing the Iraq War, of former CIA director Mike Morrell, of um, of like just a bunch of like like former intelligence people, and then Joe Biden's national security advisor Jake Sullivan, uh, John Podesta, formerly chair of the Hillary Clinton campaign. It's an alliance of like of like uh, corporate Democrats and the best of yeah, both like worlds intelligence and of neocons. Um, and they are the group that actually developed the Hamilton 68 uh, website, which claims to be able to track Russian trolls. Not um, named after the music, not the musical Hamilton. No, not the musical Hamilton, which I am actually a fan of. You are? <laughs> shame, Ronnie. I know it's so wrong, but I love it. I can't help it. It's just so good. 
but anyways, that's that, that probably makes me more controversial. But, um, no, they love you. You should have you should have started the CNN interview about that. I love Hamilton. I know all the words. It's really it's really embarrassing. That's the password to the resistance. That's like your key to get into the, the hashtag resistance. Right? Is like the words, the lyrics to "I'm not throwing away my shot." Exactly the merit the anthem of meritocracy. Exactly. So, um, anyways, Hamilton sixty eight is this website that claims to be able to track Russian bots. But in reality, they've actually misidentified several actual living human breathing, like living, hu living, breathing humans as Russian bots who were actually people. Um, and they have this secret methodology that they refuse to reveal. So this is the people who attacked us. And this is, again, a U.S. government funded group that went to CNN with this story and then CNN used it with, with this bullshit story because everyone, I mean, In the Now doesn't hide who owns it. In fact, In the Now is called In the Now because it used to be a show on RT hosted by Anissa Nowe, who then took it into a digital online thing like AJ+. And it's still the same woman, the same name. So like if they really wanted to do one over on you, they might have renamed it um, and come up with a new host. But anyways, so CNN took this story, this non-story, and then went to Facebook and was like, these people are misleading people, and then got Facebook to ban our pages, basically. And Facebook banned our pages on the grounds that we didn't reveal our funding source on our pages. But here's the thing is there was never any sort of policy or rule by Facebook that you need to do that. And you can go look at any other media outlet that receives funding from a government, whether it's PBS or um, AJ Plus or Al Jazeera or CBC or BBC or any of the several outlets that do. And they don't like clarify that either. So this was a, so at the end of the day, the story, like this is what happened is CNN colluded with a U.S. government funded think tank to get us censored because they don't like our content. And again, a lot of the questions I was getting asked by the CNN reporter were like about my views and why, like, and, and like being, you know, against wars. And, and then I, I mean, just the fact that he was accusing me of, of, of just like repeating Kremlin talking points because I oppose war. Um, and also, it's funny, it took four guys, there was four reporters who worked on this story, an investigative piece that required no investigation, because literally all you have to do is Google in the now to find out who, who like owns it. It's just so absurd. But the point is, is this is like an act of censorship, like censorship via a loophole. It's like legalized censorship. And this has been happening on Facebook for a while. And like, I keep telling people, look, if you hate my videos, you hate Russia and anything affiliated with it, like, fine. Hate it. I'm not forcing you to like me. I'm not forcing you to like what I have to say. I'm not forcing you to like my outlet. But at the end of the day, like this is an issue of speech, and you have like gov a government in this case, the U.S. government, influencing, um, you know, uh, social media companies through middlemen to shut down pages, and that's so incredibly dangerous. We've seen this time and time again, though, which is that all these free speech people, liberals, all of a sudden, it's like when war is involved, when Russia's involved, all that stuff is kind of paused. And these are people who are like, I may not like what you have to say, but I'll fight to the death for the right to say it. Yeah, where the, where's Barry Weiss or Barry Weiss or however you say her name? Like, where's Jonathan Chait? Yeah. <laughs> like, Sam Harris, where you at, bro? Like, Yeah, well, actually, I was going to ask you, have you, because there's a very sick, 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 sick trap where I think there's this, like, really sketchy new, it's, it's especially strong now, this, like, smear by association, guilt by association, where... If you are elevated by someone problematic, you are, everything about them is reflected onto you. Let's just like table one's opinions on, on Putin, on Russia and RT and all that. Like 
you can make points on RT because RT, just like every other outlet, of course, has like interests and a perspective, mm -hmm. just like our our stuff has perspectives in the United States, right? You're a US citizen. You're critical of the actions that your government commits. People are always like, oh, well, what about this? But it's like, well, you don't live there. Like your <laughs> yeah. voice, it's, I mean, Chomsky talks about this a lot. But so what happens is you can't be critical about, let's say the Israeli-Palestinian issue. As we know, you can't do that here because you will get fired like Mark Lamont Hill. Or you get like, if you say anything remotely critical about APAC, as we saw with um, Ilana Omar, you get uh, piled on and you have to apologize and everything. And that's just what we see on the surface. Forget behind the scenes, right? And she's like incredibly brave and like condemned Elliot Abrams. Most people won't even go there, right? So then if you ha wanna talk about this stuff, you'll go on RT. And then now that you're on RT, it's like proof that you are a spy or disloyal or a double agent and um, like a puppet for Putin. But the irony is if people really wanted to have a robust media debate within the United States and didn't want people going to work for foreign companies, they'd be agitating and organizing for an open media here. Totally. And like, here's the thing is, look, I working for in the now doesn't mean working for in the now does not mean that I support the spo its sponsors, just like working for like, you know, CNN doesn't mean that the people who were interviewing me, maybe these these guys do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they support, you know, the the policies of like weapons companies and pharmaceutical companies that are CNN's biggest advertisers or of AT&T, CNN's parent company that colluded with the US that, that eagerly participated in the NSA's wireless, uh, wireless, uh, I'm sorry, wiretapping, <laughs> warrantless wiretapping on Americans. Just like working for Al Jazeera doesn't mean that people who work there support the Qatari uh, absolute monarchy. Same with the BBC and so on and so forth. And what you're saying is absolutely right. Is yes, you know what? I am limited in options. That's you're absolutely right to say that I am because the question isn't why, how dare Rania appear on RT or work for anything affiliated with it. The question should be why isn't a voice like Rania's on MSNBC, why isn't it, not me specifically, but people who are saying my viewpoint, because my viewpoint is maybe marginal on the mainstream, but a lot of people agree with it. It's marginal in the, in media, in the media elites. It's like politics, like same thing with, I mean, of course I agree with Sanders, but like the Medicare for all is very, very popular. It seems radical and because the elites don't like it. So then we think it's a fringe thing. Same thing with your thing being anti-war. We don't see it on the t on TV. But it's out there. Most Americans actually don't support in military interventions. And it's crazy because when you actually think about U.S. media, the thing is, like, in the U.S., the media is owned by just... the 90% of the U.S. media is owned by just six corporations. That's crazy. That six corporations in the U.S. control what we read, see, like, hear, and watch. Six corporations. Like, it's, I mean... That just shows you like there's a reason the parameters of debate in the mainstream are so, so narrow. And it's because billionaires and corporations are controlling the media. So they keep leftists out. So where are we supposed to go? And if seriously, if people hate RT that much, it could literally, you could get rid of RT tomorrow. If you just like let someone with my opinions or your opinions, like have a voice in the mainstream, but there's a reason that we're not allowed in. And like, it's okay. There's also something else where, you know, I get this question from people and I can't always answer them, but like, well, why can't you just be an independent journalist and freelance? Like, I would love to be able to do that. But the reality is like, I need to eat and pay rent and I'm not a trust fund kid. Like there is a sort of crop of trust fund journalists and that's fine. That's great that they get to do that. I like, I, I envy that. Right. And better that they use their voice for that for good. Obviously you're not begrudging them that, but yes, it's not an option yeah, that everyone has. That. 
I'm just not in a, you know, I'm not in a position where I, I can, I can do that financially. I'd love to, but I can't. And I, and also like, I don't have much to complain about. Like, I really do love the job I have right now. It's so awesome. Like I get to, I get to make these really cool, high quality videos and sometimes documentaries on things I'm so passionate about. And I get to control like the editorial line of my videos. Like that's, that's something that you don't get everywhere. Right. Yeah. Let's um, imagine if Mark Lamont Hill had wanted to do something on, I mean, so Mark Lamont Hill is an example of someone who literally got fired, right? Fired from CNN for a, a talk he gave where he said he wanted to free Palestine from the rivers to the sea. And that was taken as some kind of like, I want to kill all Jews statement. Um, Means the same thing, apparently, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Palestinians are human beings is the same thing as let's, let's Holocaust 2.0. It's the call for Holocaust 2.0. Um, yeah. But that's just, again, these are examples of things that we see on the surface. But you know that that's just a, there's an implicit censorship that's not even expressed, right? Most people know that you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Most people aren't even going to get to the point where they say that thing that's critical about Israel. Not even, they say that crazy radical thing about how Palestinians should be free. They, so, so there's like, I actually, I've always said this, like I really prefer an overt partisan perspective or not partisan, but like everyone knows now, okay, you guys are, are what, have fun, get funding from Russia. To me, honestly, like maybe if I were watching a documentary about like Russia and Ukraine or like Crimea, I'd be like, hmm. But no, but you're right. You're right. I wouldn't look, I wouldn't look to RT for critical coverage of Russia. That would be stupid. I wouldn't look to Al Jazeera for critical coverage of Qatar. Like it doesn't necessarily discount everything about those issues, but like it's certainly accurate to say that. And I'm not going to look for like Washington Post. I'm not going to expect critical coverage of Jeff Bezos. Like, right. Yeah. That's just media. That's like media literacy. And it sucks. It sucks. It's like, this is a really flawed system we have where almost all media is funded by governments or corporations. It's a very flawed system. And that's like a bigger discussion we should be having about why media is like that and how we can change it. But this is the current media landscape that we have. And that's why I do think like media literacy is so important because if we're going to have all these outlets owned by different entities, people should, should like sort of have the tools to be able to judge like what they can trust about this or that, or just be able to look at certain things with a more skeptical eye, um, you know, depending on which source it's coming from. So like, yeah, I'm with you. Like I probably wouldn't be looking for like documentaries about Ukraine and Russia from RT. Like again, like doesn't mean it's all bad, but maybe like find a more neutral source. <laughs> and so like why the idea that we're going to not trust Russia. Okay. So stupid. Yeah, Russia may have an interest in, and guess what, in, in exposing hypocrisy in the United States government. Guess who has an interest in, in like, regime change? <laughs> like the United States, you know what I mean? Like, can't we admit that if you're at all critical of the United States, can't you admit that, guess what, there's, like, stuff to be critical about? And I even told this in that CNN interview, I was like, if CNN wants to give me a job to, like, oppose, to, like, explain why U.S. wars are bad, like, I'll take it. But you're not doing that. And it's just really interesting to me, like people who want to be woke allies should be asking why a brown woman who has really important things to say and has actually visited the site, like the places that the U.S. like tries to destroy. Why is this brown woman being excluded from the conversation? Um, but they don't ask that. They also like, you know, this whole situation with like the woke crowd, unfortunately, um, I feel like it's the whole like Russia situation, I feel like they too do this sort of soft coup of anything. Like they, they, they fall for this, like this, like degrees of association thing and guilt by association. 
We're like even just the like, left, not just the people we usually hate, not just woke libs, no, but even like good allies, allies. allies. Yeah, that's really scary. Yeah. yeah, and it's really really unfortunate because, like, I don't know. It's just I'm not saying they should be promoting RT or like going on RT. They don't have to do that, but it's just like. I don't know, it's just really unfortunate that they've played a role, some of them, in legitimizing the whole, like, anti-Russia hysteria because yeah. now it's going to be used against their favorite candidate. Like, it's going to be used against Bernie Sanders. It already is. Right. Um, and these people who are promoting the anti-Russia hysteria are not your friends. These are, like, people who want Cold War 2.0. They're right. the opposite of your friends. Okay, so our, our boy Bernie, uh, blessed be his name or whatever, he announced. Yeah, he announced. It's so like, happy. cheered me. It's like made my week. It's cheered me I know, me it's up. so great. And also, like, um, this is another thing we should talk about. I should have, like, a whiteboard. But, you know, he his <laughs> campaign manager is a Muslim American, which somehow all the people who talk about Bernie's, like, race problem don't talk about. But we already knew that Muslims and Arabs aren't actually part of identity politics. They don't count. Politics. Yeah, they don't count. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah, they're not, yeah. Look, you don't count, you don't count as a minority or as an LGBTQ or as um, a woman, even, right. if you're a Bernie supporter. Right. Or if you work with, like, but we should know that by now. After 2016, yeah, like, exactly. I mean, you and right. I are Bernie bros. Right, like, right, right. We're straight white strong. men. Yeah, yeah. Um, but your identity is completely ripped, like, is, is erased right. when it's, um, right. it doesn't work But it's funny, of, like, it's like with Muslims and Arabs, which aren't the same, and all of our viewers know, obviously, but in case they don't, it's, you know, Islam is religion, Arab is a, uh, what, an ethnicity, Arabic ethnicity, is a language. Yeah. But even like beyond that, they don't even pretend, they don't even pay lip service to these groups. And um, no. we saw this with like, you know, where were the slate queen, yes queen, um, listen to black, listen to black women when Ilan Omar was speaking truth to power? Where was it? I mean, it was, it was, it, they were, as Adam Johnson said, they, they were a fucking no show. She was speaking the wrong truth. She was speaking the wrong truth, and I always said this, that it, that like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and all of the, the kind of everything that represents was always, I always said this is going to blow up the woke, pseudo-woke consensus because no one talks about Arabs or Muslims and or Muslims because they can, they can but don't have to overlap. Um, no one talks about that issue. They're just not part of the... Um, rainbow coalition that people like Hillary Clinton and woke neoliberals pay tribute to because honestly they haven't been able to break that off from a real like geopolitical struggle. The only time it's interesting, the only time that you'll see um, those woke people be pro um, pro Muslim, even I don't even know if you could call it. That. I know it's 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 this weird. It's almost like a Jew thing where it's not. It's like an ethnic religion. Yeah. Well, but, but it's also just, like, I don't even know what that means because, like, Muslims aren't all the same and Jews aren't That's all the same. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the ways that they, like, show that they are is by supporting, like, reactionary right-wing people in Syria. It's, like, those are the Muslims and Arab bodies we care about, right? right? Yeah, exactly. But, like, Listen. the ones that, like, are the victims of our actual policies don't matter. Like, Yemenis... Yeah. No one cares. Yeah, yeah, no one. Yeah, that's the other <laughs> thing. It's like, give me a fucking break. You can hate Bernie Sanders for whatever weird psychological, either because you're like rich or you have like material interests or you have some weird psychological triggered bullshit that you didn't work out with your shrink and you really need to and stop subjecting all of us <laughs> to it and pretending this is politics because you have some weird thing with men. Sorry, I'm going to get like banned from everything. No, but, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, don't worry. But it's like, <laughs> dude, the guy fucking got like legislation. He and Ro Khanna are... Like, just at least pretend to care about all these dead brown babies in Yemen who like, are... Like, we're literally starving them. Yeah. Like, they're, like, you see the photos of these, like, hollow skeletons and these ribs. Yeah. And, like, 
I don't know how anyone can like, like see that and not care or pretend like it's not a big deal. And what Bernie Sanders has done around that issue is so huge. Yeah. And anyone who tries to say that he has no foreign policy exactly. experience after that can, you know, go do something unhealthy. Do them, do, yeah, can do themselves something to themselves. We don't we don't want to king shame. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you like that, don't do that because you don't want to be rewarding yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do yeah. It's just so it's so frustrating and it's like, you know, the old I really need to do an episode that drills. Maybe you should do a video about this. Like how exactly this media stuff works. Like cause I know on a on a base level, it's like moneyed interests and the corporations, they run the media, but like and then we get examples of like Mark Lamont Hill says this, he gets fired, but Usually we don't know it because it's behind I mean, closed I think doors. there's a lot of self-censorship that goes on. And I also think the kinds of people who are getting hired at certain places are people who are similar, like have a similar mindset or from similar backgrounds. Um, and like you have a lot of like sort of incestual like relationships in media and a lot of nepotism where you have like Andrea Mitchell's like married to um, Alan Greenspan. You have like Mika Brzezinski, the daughter of Zbigniew of Brzezinski, who like was, um, you know, very important uh, in terms of, you know, creating uh, like a foreign policy ideology, really, and was the brains behind, you know, arming the Afghan Mujahideen, which eventually like, which ultimately evolved into like Al Qaeda, right. and like, you know, really like created a lot of disasters down the line and just like a Cold War hawk. And she is like a part, you know, she's with Morning Joe. You have like the children of it. You have either the children or the spouses or of important people who are part of this, who are part of the establishment and they get to define what we, what, like what the debate is on air and that they happen, their views happen to align with the corporations that run at that, whose advertising dollars they're so dependent on. Their views happen to align with the state department because a lot of them are married to people in the state department. Like that's just the case. So like, I think that's how it works is there's like, um, there's like group think in these media outlets and there's people from backgrounds who have a, who have a reason, they have like a stake in the system remaining the way it is or in cutting social spending or in not paying higher taxes. I mean, do you remember when, Al when um, remember when, um, what's his face? Anderson Cooper was interviewing uh, AOC and she like said the thing about the marginal tax rate and he was like, what? Yeah. I mean, I imagine that's also because Anderson Cooper has a shit ton of money. Right, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh shit, that would apply to me. Like. Like these are the people in media. They have ideologies that are, are that are in line. Like like the CNN guy said to me about my views of the world. Their views are in line with the U.S. State Department. Are in line with you know the hand of the free market. You know. Right. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. Is people like us? There's a reason, Katie, that you're not on MSNBC, and that someone who is just saying what they what everybody on that network is already saying is. You know what I mean? Um, and again, I think it's also self-censorship. I do, the Middle East is an interesting place. Like I obviously meet a lot of reporters who are, um, oftentimes they're white and Western, but every once in a while there's like a local who's a reporter for a major outlet like CNN or, right. you know, works with the local, like works with the people who write the articles at Washington Post. Um, and these people are natives and like they understand and know what's up, but they know what they're not allowed to say. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's like this, there's self-censorship that takes place as well. Because again, like you said, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. So like, let's say the most cynical, let's say analysis of you would be like, oh, Ronnie Kallick is making media that uh, is critical of the U.S. in a way that Russia would like it. That's true. I think that's true. Yeah. And it won't, and you probably won't be the place to go for like, scathing critiques of Putin but guess what 
Our entire media is doing that. Like, yeah. do we really need more of that? All governments behave very brutally and cynically uh, to carry out their interests. It doesn't, again, it doesn't like make them good or angels. Right. But I think that's like a pretty honest assessment of the world. Do you ever say anything about Netanyahu? Who's like the U.S. actually supports and who we whitewash as an ally. Or like the like most some of the most repressive leaders in the world are like the Saudis. Um, or you could talk about even in Latin America when people are like, well, what about Maduro? And it's like, okay, like I did a recent video on Venezuela. Just like that, Venezuela's got a new president. Was he elected? Nope. But after swearing himself in, Juan Guaido was recognized as a legit president of Venezuela by Trump, Canada, and a bunch of right-wing Latin American countries allied with the US. Apparently, appointing yourself president is all it takes. But for real, what's happening in Venezuela is a straight-up coup against that country's democratically elected leader, Nicolas Maduro. And it's creating the dangerous conditions for a civil war, with several people already reported dead. My God, one week it's Syria, today it's Venezuela, next week it's Iran. Pick a damn country, America. It's pretty amazing that the same country that spent two years screaming about alleged Russian election meddling in 2016 is now applauding U.S. meddling in Venezuela. But if you're watching U.S. corporate news media, you would have no idea the U.S. is meddling. They label Maduro a dictator and insist that all Venezuelans support the people that the U.S. wants in power. Maduro dictatorship, a dictator with no legitimate claim to power. It has been a disaster on all counts. What they leave out is that there are millions of people in Venezuela who voted for and support Maduro's government. But these people have been made invisible by an American corporate media that's been giddy over the prospect of a right-wing takeover of Venezuela for decades. So much so that they recognize the legitimacy of a dude who just up and declared himself president and are calling that democracy. The US has been trying to overthrow the Venezuelan government since Hugo Chavez became president in 1999. Chavez redistributed wealth to the poor and used the country's oil resources to fund social programs, which pissed off the country's elites. He also tried to unite the region against US economic dominance and made it difficult for the US to profit off of Venezuela's oil reserves which are the largest reserves in the world. That's right, where there's a coup, there's almost always oil. As far as US imperialism is concerned, countries aren't allowed to be socialists, let alone forge their own paths independent of US interests. That's why the US has repeatedly attempted to overthrow the government and has sanctioned the hell out of Venezuela, strangling its economy and depriving average Venezuelans of access to basic necessities, like life-saving medications. And then the trolls come along and say, see, socialism doesn't work. Well, the problem isn't socialism, it's sabotage. In 2002, George W. Bush succeeded in facilitating a right-wing coup in Venezuela, but it only lasted two days because Chavez had the overwhelming support of the country's people as well as the military. Ever since then, both Democrats and Republicans, as well as America's corporate media outlets, have been salivating at the chance to replace Venezuela's government with a right-wing regime that's friendly to American corporate interests. That's one reason why they characterize Venezuela's leadership as a dictatorship, even though their leaders are democratically elected in elections that take place regularly. Nicolas Maduro was democratically elected last May in an election that the US-backed opposition boycotted and has continued to challenge after he was sworn into office. 
Venezuela's U.S.-backed opposition likes to portray itself as democratic and progressive, but the opposition-controlled National Assembly, led by the self-declared coup president Juan Guaido, drafted a transition law that lays out his plan for large-scale privatization of state assets and a free market economic system that promotes property rights and freedom of enterprise. In other words, a return to an exploitative capitalist model that privileges private corporations and the rich. This is why US claims that it's concerned about Venezuelan human rights are laughable. I mean, do you really expect anyone to believe that the same country that's BFFs with absolute monarchs who chop up dissidents with bone saws, gives two shits about freedom and democracy in Venezuela? And look at America's friends in the region. It's not like they're paragons of democracy. The US has no complaints about Brazil's new fascist president, Bolsonaro, or the right-wing leadership that put in power in Honduras that kills environmental activists. Put aside that most of what you hear, I think Venezuela is one of the most propagandized issues in the world, but put, it, put that aside, like, why aren't you speaking out on the government of Honduras? You know, Honduras, where the US backed a coup in 2009 that plunged the country into chaos, causing tens of thousands of unaccompanied Honduran children to flee for their lives to the US. This, of course, empowered the anti-immigrant far right in the US. We could see the same thing happen in Venezuela, with another wave of refugees that will fuel the far right even more. The point is, the US does not care about human rights of Venezuelans nor does it care about democracy. It cares about oil. It cares about economically controlling the region. It's about imperialism, stupid. The self-appointed president, Juan Guaido, may have been recognized as legitimate by the US and its right-wing allies in the region, like Brazil and Colombia, but this coup was also rejected by the region's left-wing governments, including Mexico, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and Cuba. The high military command in Venezuela is also standing by Maduro, but the situation remains incredibly dangerous. Even if the U.S.'s guy doesn't get to take over Venezuela, this is going to incite violence and possibly a civil war. As for those opposed to Maduro, fine, you don't have to love him, but it's not up to the U.S. or anyone else to decide Venezuela's future. After all, when has U.S. meddling ever ended well for the people in the targeted country? Honduras, Syria, Iraq, and Libya are just a handful of a long, long list of countries that are worse off after U.S. meddling. The result is always more oppression, more authoritarianism, more violence, more misery, more privatization, more corporate exploitation, and more poverty. Every single time. And this time around won't be any different. This is the other thing. What do people want? It's like, okay, Trump is a megalomaniac. He's erratic. He's, this is their thing, right? He's an erratic. He's a narcissist. He has dementia. So we would like him to be more aggressive with Putin so that what happens? Or we would like him to be intervening in Syria because we trust him to oversee a war there. We want him to pick and choose leaders in Venezuela. Yeah, what, okay, so where have you, let's talk about, so we talked about in this very um, ragey way, we should have a daily, like, we should have a, 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 a daily, like, just like venting session. Vent, vent and yent, oh my God. <laughs> where have you been recently and what have you been reporting on? Why did Putin send you to spread hookworm in the United States and create that as a thing and, and spread it somehow and then so you could report on it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, well, interestingly enough, shockingly, I'm the one who came up with that topic because it's a story I've wanted to report on for a really long time. Actually, about a year ago, more than a year ago, I was trying to find a way to report on this story because the UN uh, Special Rapporteur um, the, on poverty had visited the US on like a delegation of the country. And one of the places he visited was rural Alabama. And he found that there was these, um, 
these these areas that like were just in extreme poverty where people were so poor they couldn't afford to uh, install proper septic tanks um which is something that we take for granted like you really need a septic tank for your shit to go (laughs) otherwise what happens if your septic tank fails your shit your literal shit and like the things that go into your toilet and all of your drains pools into your yard and that's what happens in these people's yards it's uh, in rural Alabama, they also live in a place called the Black Belt, and it's called the Black Belt partly because the population there's majority black, but also the soil there um, does not absorb water well. It's like chalky clay black soil, uh, which is what made it great for plantations uh, for certain products. But uh, anyway, um, so basically, people can't afford to install proper septic tanks; they're too poor. So the the raw sewage literally pools into their yards. There's open cesspools of raw sewage, and as a result, we've um, seen the rise of these. Uh, like parasitic diseases, uh, like hookworm, that are not necessarily deadly, but they cause all kinds of like issues, like especially in children who are most likely to get them because children usually play like to play barefoot, right? Um, and it, it enters the body through the feet. Uh, it makes you, it can make you extremely anemic and causes de- like cognitive and developmental issues uh, that can affect you for the rest of your life. Um, this is happening to people who are literally the descendants of slaves. Racism just has weird new forms, and this is one of them. And in th- these areas are completely neglected. I mean, it's like I've reported in war zones, and I've seen, like, really terrible shit. But I just it's just shocking to see the kinds of things that you see in, like, really impoverished third-world countries where there's been wars in the U.S., which is the richest country in the world. And the reason I did that story is because I'm an American, and like that to me is so unacceptable and so shocking that there's people who are getting third world level diseases. And it's one thing when it's happening in places that don't have infrastructure development, but like this should not be happening in the U.S. This is completely neglected. And like um, that, it, it was just it was a really I mean, I think it was a really important story that I did. I made a really cool documentary out of it. And I was really proud of that. And that CNN seemed to like have a problem with that. They were like asking my camera person on that story. Like, didn't you think it was weird that they picked such a negative story about Alabama. And she was like, well, I mean, because actually Vice covered the same story literally the week after I was there. Um, yeah, so I wish I'm glad Vice did. That's like a huge platform for that. So I'm glad they did. But yeah, like it's just it's like a story that people care about for obvious reasons. And so what was it like when you talked to these people? And were they how was I mean, this is just it's a question for you as a journalist. Like, how do you approach you're obviously not from there. You don't have an accent that's from there. How, what were people? Actually, anywhere you go, whether it's like, like you, you talk to locals, you talk to somebody almost like a fixer, right? So an activist who's very active on this issue, she's an environmental activist named Catherine Flowers, who's actually, her family grew up in Lowndes County, which is the area of Alabama that this is the biggest issue in. Yeah, I wonder how long that woman Catherine has been on um, Putin's payroll. Yeah. I am a descendant of slaves. Um... Uh, slaves here in Lowndes County that came from activist parents who were involved in the voting rights movement here in Lowndes County. My parents were like the jailhouse lawyers of our community. Catherine recently helped file a complaint against the state and county health departments alleging racial discrimination and their failure to properly investigate or warn people about hookworm or adequately deal with the sewage crisis. Um, she, I got in touch with her and then she connected us to us to like locals who were willing to talk on camera. And one thing that was so fucked up was um, like locals, again, this is, this is a very impoverished area. People don't have jobs. There's like no economy in Lowndes County. Uh, and so people were scared to talk on camera about this issue because they can be fined for septic tank violations. And they have been, people have even been jailed in the past. So like, 
Like, it's just, it's so disgusting. Like, people are literally punished for not being able to afford a septic tank. This should be provided for them. And they sh there should be some sort of local infrastructure for this. And then also, in one um, of the neighborhoods, there was the septic. There's something called, like, a, a lagoon can be, like, a septic system, especially for smaller towns where, like, it's sort of like a river of shit where everyone's shit in the town goes to. It's like a big septic tank for everyone. But this lagoon was built, like, right in people's backyards who happened to all be black in this, like, neighborhood. Like, not in the white people's backyards, in the black people's backyards. Right. Um, so, like, these people are just constantly, like, smelling shit, like, all the time. And sometimes it backs up into their yards. Like, it's just, it's, like, such a, it's an issue of environmental racism as much as it is an issue of just, like, um, shocking state neglect. Uh, and so this is one of the things I worked on. I, again, very threatening, I guess, to CNN. It's insane to me that literally a story about public health that exposes racism and environmental racism and, of course, classism um, is, like, considered propaganda. And if that is propaganda, then good. We need more of it because, God forbid, people yeah. know about this. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, what's so wrong with wanting to expose that? And if like, I'm sorry, if this is one of the only places that I, that I, that I'm able to do that, like I'm going to take it. And then, I mean, I also did a story on homelessness in DC, uh, which isn't out yet, but I'm really proud of that. And I worked really hard on it. And like, um, another story on teachers, this also hasn't come out, but I, I actually uh, met with teachers who have like two or three jobs, um, because they can't afford to like pay rent otherwise. Um, these are important issues to me. Like, no one's telling me um, to do these stories. These are important issues to me because I'm a leftist and I care about people and I'm an American. And so, like, I care about this shit happening in the country I pay tax dollars to. It's as basic as that. And no matter, and I would do these same stories if I worked anywhere else, if I was able to. Like, if I, I mean, the closest comparison I can think of is like, I think AJ Plus does a lot of really, really good um, domestic stories in the US. And like, I would do, if I worked there, I would do the same thing. Right. And you really have to ask yourself why all this progressive content is only coming from places like AJ Plus or like where I work. Like, why isn't it the main story at, you know, CNN or at uh, MSNBC? Like, why are those networks just completely like, they just don't care? I mean, I'm not, I mean, every once in a while you see some decent content. I'm not saying everything yeah. that appears at these outlets is bad, but like, come on, these networks have huge, massive resources. Well, they have to put a line to Russia and the next smoking gun. That's right. never like smoking gun. Former GOP operatives and former intelligence agents as analysts. Yeah, thanks Soledad O'Brien for like, she also likes to retweet wow. Jennifer Rubin. Jennifer Rubin, guys, oh yeah, 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 this is a good sign. Like this, is, I think this is like the resistance, like there's a group and to apply to get it, you have to have, Definitely to work at the New York Times, you have to talk about Bernie having a race problem. I mean, that's a whole other issue, which we can get into. But, um, yeah, Jennifer Rubin, I don't even know why that came into my head, but I was just thinking of... But because, like, that's, like, awful to be retweeting Jennifer yeah, Rubin. Yeah, Neocon, who's, I mean, like, I imagine, who doesn't like Bernie? Ronnie, wait, I hope you're sitting down. So you and I really like Sanders. Jennifer Rubin doesn't like him, so... I was gonna say, I imagine she was retweeting something shitty Jennifer Rubin was saying, because Jennifer Rubin never has anything good to say. But she's part of the resistance because she hates Trump as much as probably she hates Trump less than she hates Sanders. Let's be honest. But yeah. you know, let's actually let's actually move towards talking about Sanders for a minute. He's already raised six million dollars. Yeah, by the time and we release this, it'll like, be like twelve billion or something. Yeah, you've got these people being like, so. Yeah, can Sanders win? Is he still? Does he still have that Let support? Let me see you raise six million dollars in a day, and not from like CEOs, right, or lobbyists. 
or like corporate packs from actual like individual people. Yeah. <laughs> I really think, I really think like the DNC, everybody who's in charge of it right now is like crapping in their pants yeah, I do because they're like, what are we going to do to make sure this guy doesn't Yeah, work? I think that oh the DNC, God. there's a large population of people in there who would rather Bernie lose the primary and someone win the primary who would lose to Trump than Bernie win both. Oh, for sure. But I'm just, I'm imagining also they, they're probably like, oh my God, he's so much more popular than we thought. Like, they're like seeing these numbers of how much he raised. I mean, Kamala Harris raised one and a half million dollars within the first 24 hours of her announcing. Bernie Sanders raised triple that plus some. Like, yeah, but but uh, I just want you to know that Kamala Harris explained the other day, in case you had your hopes up, she's not a democratic socialist, as she clarified. Well, I was convinced she was, so I'm glad that, it, like, everybody was, like, everybody was sure she might yeah, be. Yeah, dem sock, so dem sock really this, glad. dem sock that, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so what about Venezuela? I mean, this, again, this is, we've talked about this before, but this crazy idea of, like, you, I think you said this once, like, Trump is an insane, an insane, a madman every day except for the day that he bombs a country, at which point he's, like, someone we trust. But let's talk about Venezuela, where you have, you know, Nancy Pelosi and John Bolton are on the same page because somehow the guy who's his, who works, the, the, the uber neocon hawk, uber hawk who works in Trump's administration and the leader of the resistance have the same foreign policy position when it comes to Venezuela. I'm not sure how that works, but... Yeah, I loved when, like, John Bolton was was tweeting his, like, uh, gratitude towards Nancy Pelosi. But, you know, I think this speaks to the fact that foreign policy really is something that doesn't change. It changed. The tactics maybe change a little bit, but especially with a country like Venezuela. I mean, Obama, under Obama, like, the U.S. was doing exactly what it's doing now in Venezuela, which was, you know, funding and this, like, right-wing racist opposition to try and overthrow the government. And it was, but right now, I think Trump just kind of went a step further because neocons really like to be blowhards about everything and just like went ahead and like recognized someone else as the legitimate president, which I don't think that an Obama or yeah, a Clinton it's necessarily would have done. Yeah, the optics of that are too bad. But they, they would have, yeah, the optics would be different, but they definitely would have continued the sanctions. They would have continued to try it, which, which have killed Venezuelans. Like these sanctions right. are literally killing Venezuelans. As, But the point is, is it's, it's really alarming how whenever it comes to destroying other countries, these two parties are on the same page. And I mean, watching this Venezuela situation play out was so scary because you literally had like three or four Democrats in the House of many Democrats in the House say a word about it. Like, I actually, I gotta say, like, AOC not saying anything, it that's like such an easy thing to oppose. Like, everyone was like, oh, but like, maybe, you know, she doesn't know much about Venezuela or like doesn't want to get attacked. You don't have to be a pro yeah. a Maduro fan. No, you don't even I mean like it's like so like opposed Trump. It's like you could just literally connect yeah, exactly. it to being opposed to Trump. It's like so easy. You could be a liberal humanitarian, sorry, a, a humanitarian interventionist with whom I disagree, but you could even say it's consistent to be like, yeah, we should go around saving these countries by bombing them and then putting in like new guys. But like Trump can't do that. Like that's I don't get it. That's that's like, that should be your lane. That. Yeah. Even that didn't come from her. And I'm just like, come on. And that just like was unsettling to me because it just means that like, and she really has shut her mouth about foreign policy. Um, so it's also like, I guess it's not right to, it's it's like, it's you really can't expect people who go into Congress to suddenly, they're always going to end up trying to move more towards the center. I mean, even if they maintain their leftism on some things. But um I was just like really disappointed in that Sanders. I mean, I love Bernie Sanders, but his statement really pissed me off because again, so easy, just oppose what Trump is doing. Not this, like Bernie Sanders didn't even really explicitly do that. Like 
it just, it was so alarming to me because it's like, how is it possible that we do not, we have literally Ro Khanna, Elon Omar, and Tulsi Gabbard were like the only people who were like, yeah, who explicitly say that this is not a good thing. And then it's like, again, these these people are like, oh, you're elevating Tulsi Gabbard now. She's an Islamophobe. It's like, you know what? I honestly, I'm a Bernie person, as anyone knows. Like, I want him to be president. I'm not, I don't have any dog in the race with Tulsi Gabbard. But, like, she's great on this stuff. This whole narrative, this, like, ridiculous narrative, like, of <gasps> elevating and, and hype. Well, you know, what's, you know what's really frustrating is I really don't like this thing that is so prevalent among our own crowd. Right. Um, which is like, you're supposed to denounce, denounce human beings. Like, like, because they have a couple things you disagree with. Also since um, when, yes. And we see this, it's like so personal. It's like, like you just said something, you love Sanders, but you criticize his like not great response to Venezuela. Great. Like there are people who actually cannot look at policy like Trump considering withdrawing from Syria. I mean, to, it's like, is inherently bad because Trump is doing that. Or like people who are mad about Trump. I I know libs who were mad about Trump on North Korea because they didn't want mm -hmm. him to have this as a potential victory for like his campaign and for the elections. It's like, wait, so you would rather he ratchet things up with Kim Jong-un? Like, what is the game plan? They are so, their politics are so divorced from policy and positions. And look, you and I hate Trump. Trump hates you. He hates me. Like, he would go after either of us if he could, and I'm sure he has with you and Will when he sees you, if, you know. But, like, the idea that we can't look at policy and determine on its face, I mean, it's just so stupid. There's so much stuff to hate him about. But it's going to be yeah. stuff on North Korea? Well, it's like, it's like, yeah, like, on the very rare occasions where Trump is, like, doing something positive, the everybody oppose, like, they all oppose it. I mean, just on the basis, and that, you know, there was this recent poll, uh, that showed that Democrats are now like more pro-war than Republicans. And I actually think that's a little bit misleading to say because if you actually read the poll, um, it was like a, it was like a, I don't even know, was it a, which company, like Gallup maybe, I don't know. But the questions were phrased as like, do you support Trump's policy to pull out of Syria? Do you support Trump's policy to take troops out of Afghanistan? And whenever you phrase anything like that, Democrats are immediately gonna be like, no, I don't support anything Trump does. But again, it's like also alarming right now because yeah, it's like anything like, and there are some, every, every once in a while. And one thing I love about Bernie Sanders is he still recognizes that when Trump does. And I remember it was even when Trump became president, he pulled out of the TPP. Um, Sanders was like, oh, I'm ready to work with him on this. He's a xenophobe and bad, but I'm ready to work with him on this. And it's like, that's how real politics and real policymaking works. That's real life. Right. And you don't love, you're not helping Trump. We're not rehabilitating Trump. No. But you know who Democrats, you know who Democrats are rehabilitating in their obsession with being like with the resistance Bill Crystal, John Bolton. they rehabilitated people like Max Boot, who's now calling himself a, like a Democrat after being a Republican. You know what, he's really honest supports. in a way because he kind of is what the Democrats are, so. Yeah, I guess so. And Max Boot is like trying to like lecture Democrats now and like you, if you want to win my vote, it's like nobody, why do I, why would you want Max Boot's vote? They've also rehabilitated David Frum. They've rehabilitated um, Bill Crystal, who's like, who's like now like a darling on Ari Melber's show on MSNBC. Do they talk about hip hop? Ari Melber loves talking about yeah, hip hop. Yeah, like they're like, it's like, what is going on? My head's going to explode. Like these people were disgraced and not allowed on television for a few years because of their policies on Iraq. And now Democrats are so obsessed with like, 
opposing Trump. They're willing to, what I think is so funny is they're willing to align with neocons, but they will align with neocons over the left. Like, they will align with neocons to attack the left. Like, they don't want anything to do with us. And there was, Hillary Clinton even did an interview, like, uh, on CBS a few weeks ago, actually telling the left, if you don't like Kamala Harris, like, I think a lot of it's sexism and racism. She was like, they're, you know, the left is constantly attacking her. Go somewhere else. Oh, no, that was, that was actually, yeah, I made a, that was during her, her book tour about what happened. I think Jimmy Dore said, like, this is a, this is one of the only books where, like, the answer to the question is the author or something. Because it's, like, what happened by Hillary <laughs> yeah. Clinton. And um, this awesome. was from, like, back then. And then for some reason, because people are so out of touch, her fans, they don't understand reality. They were actually, like, tweeting that, like, that was a good thing. Wait, that wasn't an old... I thought that... Oh, yeah, no. It just... Kamala, it re, they this re, is new. Yeah. I think this is new because she's talking about Kamala Harris. No, it was right after... It was right after, like... Um, I'll send you the video that I did about it. I did this mashup of her being totally full of it. Hillary Clinton. Oh, that's interesting. And um, yeah, it was when she was doing interview. It was that interview she, uh, with Jane Pauley, and mm -hmm. she's like, um, "Anything else you want to say in terms of um, like, do you want to give like a two minute? We could even do a little spiel. Like, run your reports. Like Venezuela in two minutes, Syria in two minutes. Just do like a spiel about what you're working. How about any regime change war in two minutes? Great. Yes. <laughs> okay. So um, right now. John Bolton is trying to overthrow Iran, Venezuela. He started talking about Ortega of Nicaragua. So the U.S. doesn't seem to be able to, to, be able to pick a country, but there does. There's like this common theme in every regime change war or like a playbook that takes place. Um, it's like a step. It's like a process, and it's good to recognize the steps to regime change. The first step is. Um, you cry about the dictator or leader being really, really bad. Like, paint them as a cartoon supervillain, right? And, like, the whole media apparatus joins in. Okay, so that's step one. Step two is you call, you, like, impose sanctions so that you, like, really, like, you destroy the country's economy. Or as they did in Chile, you make the economy scream. You make the economy scream, make it really difficult for people to, like, buy medicine and food, and then you, you call it a humanitarian crisis and say, well, we have to go save the people of said country because of this humanitarian crisis. I'm describing what's happening in Venezuela right now. Um, and then the next step is uh, you recognize some sort of opposition that the U.S. has, that the U.S. has funded, right? The U.S. funds an opposition and then, then declares them the government in exile or something. Um, and if you watch MSNBC or CNN, all you see on these networks is these opposition figures, not people from the country, like living in the country, but the ones living outside of it, claiming to speak for the people and begging America to bomb them. Um, and then step four, if America gets to step four and they actually succeed in overthrowing a government, is the country goes to shit. <laughs> like literally goes to shit. It falls apart. Like everything, the state collapses and everyone's screwed. Like everyone's screwed and you have like this mass outpouring of refugees. Um, and in the case of places like Syria, this destabilized the world. You had so many refugees from Syria that it literally changed the politics of Europe. It fueled the far right. And it partially fueled the far right in the U.S. as well, because one of the reasons the far right is on the rise is because they constantly talk about illegal immigration. The people who are coming to the U.S. that they hate so much are fleeing places like Honduras, where the U.S. overthrew the government and, like, and the state is, like, has been plunged into complete chaos and violence and they kill environmental activists. The whole point of my spiel is that U.S. regime change wars are literally like destroying the world and fueling the far right and destroying countries and killing people and it needs to stop. It doesn't help anybody except for weapons companies 
and other people, I guess, who profit off of it. But at the end of the day, like this is really like pushing our, I really think that Trump is president because of our regime change wars. What do you mean? I mean, I think that Trump campaigned on xenophobia and hate of immigrants, and he campaigned on anti-Muslim hate, and he used ISIS to do it, the existence and the brutality of ISIS to do it. ISIS would not have existed if the U.S. had never invaded Iraq. Like, ISIS would not have existed if the U.S. didn't collapse part of the state in Syria and give ISIS a ground to actually launch its state from. Um, U.S. policies and regime change policies in the region are the reason that ISIS came about. It's the reason that you have so many people fleeing Latin America to the U.S. They're not coming to the U.S. because they want the American dream. Like, they're fleeing for their lives. They're fleeing economic destabilization and they're fleeing actual violence that's caused by the destruction. There's just a transgender woman who was found dead because she wanted to stay here um, instead of going back to um, Central America. And this, you know, the, we, we, the U.S. government didn't believe her, sent her back, and she was killed. Yeah, I mean, this is what I, like, I really, that's awful. That's horrible. And, like, for all these people who are upset about the separation of families and their right to be upset, like, you should not only be against what Trump is doing to these families, and you should not only be against these, like, this, like, mass deportation machine. You need to ask why. Why people are seeking asylum in the U.S. and why they're fleeing and stop destroying their countries. Really, especially if you're someone who considers yourself progressive and you see the rise of these far-right demagogues all over the place, the primary thing fueling them is the issue of refugees and the issue of immigration. You can neutralize these people by A, demanding that they oppose the policies that are creating these refugees, and B, opposing them yourselves, like opposing war yourself. Like, I think that's why I think it's such a crucial issue. And also, like, one last thing to point out with the amount of money that we spend destroying the world, especially this goes out to all our new progressive politicians who want Medicare for all and free college tuition. And when people ask you how you're going to pay for it, guess what you should tell them? Not only should we be raising taxes on millionaires and billionaires, but, like, we should also, like, take money out of the war machine and use it to, like, get people septic tanks in rural Alabama so they don't get yeah. hookworm. Um, that's really great. And, um, Rania, that's a great note to go out on. And, um, thank you so much. And where can people find you in your work? You can find me on Twitter at Rania Kalik, R-A-N-I-A-K-H-A-L-E-K. -E um, or on Facebook. Hopefully our pages will be back up and they can find me on In the Now and Soapbox. That's what I was going to ask. What's the status for that? What can people do? So yell at Facebook, I guess. Um, we're, right now we're negotiating with Facebook on how to get our page back up. And we're hoping that if Facebook is going to force us, which we're happy to disclose our funding on our Facebook page, they should make that a policy that applies to all media. Right, because um, right now it's, by not, governments. it's not even a yeah. consistent thing. It's totally, yeah. No, just, um, literally just us. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And people will say, oh, yeah, but other places reveal where they're funded from, but you haven't denied it. No, it just, no but it's also just not standard practice on the Facebook page to, to disclose that. No one does that. Right, 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 um, yeah. But if Facebook is going to make anybody, everybody, if Facebook is going to make one outlet do it, they should make them all do it, so... Well, we have to have you on again because I want to hear more stuff about... Thank uh, you, Katie. I appreciate um, all your flexibility with time. Okay, thanks, Rania. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. And here is a preview of part two of my interview with Rania. We were taken down for, like, almost 10 days. And after some negotiating with Facebook, um, they put our pages back up. So now if you look at our about section, it says... Uh, in the now is or Mafic is a subsidiary of Ruffley, which is a subsidiary of RT. And uh, but so that's good. Our, our pages are back up after ten days of censorship. However, Facebook 
Facebook so far is only applying this to us. No other state-funded media outlets are required to do this. At this point, um, Facebook told us that they were planning to roll out some sort of broader policy soon. But as of now, this is literally being only applied to in the now. Nobody else. So um, who else is uh, suffering from these consequences? No one. No one. Just in the now on its pages. That's it. Literally. They temporarily suspended. They temporarily it. suspended you guys from Facebook. And that was in the, the reason they said that they, did, that they did that was because you didn't on the very Facebook page, not like elsewhere, but on the Facebook page, you didn't reveal that you were funded by roughly. Right. And so now we do, which is not a big now deal. But like had Facebook asked us to do that, we would have done it. They that was never a requirement. Like if you go to Al Jazeera, right. like if you go to AJ Plus's page, it doesn't say we're funded by Al Jazeera or who funds Al Jazeera. And it still doesn't. They still haven't done that. No, yeah, they still, haven't still required them. doesn't do that. Right. I mean, maybe if Facebook does decide to stop, put it like pulling a double standard here. What I also find interesting about all this is that this isn't being applied. Like, I think it's important. I do actually. I would. I'm not opposed to having like a sort of you know disclosure on about. Yeah, because yeah, people should know like like who's funding this media because all media right. for the most part, except for a very tiny, tiny fraction is funded by corporations and governments. Right. And I also, with I agendas. also don't agree with the idea of only applying it to state funded media. I actually think that because right. like, I think we talked about this in our previous interview, but like six corporations in America own 90% of the media that we like that we consume, whether it's like right. seeing, hearing, um, you know, uh, reading. Um, so, it's like, why is that? Why are those outlets not required to disclose their funders? Like right. CNN, for example. Like, does everybody know that CNN's owned by Time Warner, which is owned by the subsidiary of AT and T, which is a company that eagerly participated and collaborated with the NSA in warrantless wiretapping of Americans? No. Like, how does that impact CNN's coverage of things? Like, we should also talk about these corporate outlets because they're the ones that actually dominate most narratives. Sure. But it's funny because, um, well, Rania, uh, actually, you shouldn't care about the NSA unless you're doing something wrong. So the fact that you would care about people's rights being violated, civil liberties, really implies to me that you're just a terrorist because who has anything to hide? I mean, I you probably know, am. it's one of those. I probably am. <laughs> I love that argument. I think it's though. a it's fair so assessment. Stupid. That's a fair assessment. Yeah. Defensible li- civil liberties, ergo, is a terrorist. Well, you, you know, know what's actually sad about if, that too is like yeah. it reminds me that argument reminds me of people who after nine eleven were like there was there was actually but like no but there was actually like uh, some civil like Arab civil society organizations I won't name any names that were like to the Arab community if the FBI comes to your door just let them in you have nothing to hide right. and like and people people did do that they let the FBI in and then they were rounded up. Make sure you stand by for our bonus episode with Rania Kalik. To do that, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And as you'll see, we talk about some other really interesting things like Venezuela, the CNN bias against Bernie Sanders. And Rania explains that regardless of what you think of Tulsi Gabbard's views, you really should, if you oppose war, want her to make it into the Democratic primary debates. And here's some exciting news. My co-host Gabe Pacheco, stand-up comedian, has a comedy album called Risky Behavior, and it drops March 5th. So you can find that on iTunes and Amazon, and you can pre-order it now. You don't have to wait till then. Thanks so much for listening to The Katie Halper Show. You can find me on Twitter at Katie Halps. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. You can find Gabe Pacheco at Gabe underscore Pacheco. You can use the hashtag Katie Halps Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W. 
The Katie Halper Show is produced by Josh Bregman. Sound editing is by Ted Reedy, and our music is by the band Cordoba.